Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. Thanks for checking in. And I'm running solo today. Matt is away, but we'll make up for it. Knowing that, I've invited another Matt. <laughs> the party today. Um, I have Matt Andres with me and I appreciate Matt so much. I've just got to know him a little bit better. He's actually with Family Life Canada and um, him and his wife Riley are in this ministry along with me and the rest of the team and in supporting marriages and families. And that's such an important thing in, in our hearts for sure and passion. But I got to learn a little bit about Matt's story, in particular his journey and his life and in particular his battle with pornography and then his freedom journey away from that and now that he's free he's turning around and helping others and we're going to touch more on that in another podcast a two-parter today i wanted to just welcome matt thanks so much buddy for being here today Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> so just a couple things about Matt. He's been married six years, two kids, and you've been with Family Life two years now, right? Is that correct? Yeah, just just about somewhere in there. Awesome. And he's in the thriving metropolis of Martinsville in Saskatchewan. <laughs> beautiful place <laughs> it is oh we love our farming communities and uh oh there's just something in the simplicity of it i love it we whenever my wife and i go to the country we love it so there's something to that <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> yeah well let's let's get going on your story i i'm so excited for you to share this and let's just start at the beginning kind of your journey maybe into even faith but not only that maybe where you got introduced to pornography and kind of what that was like growing up yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, like a little background on my story, I grew up in a, in a Christian 
home and we live in a place called uh it's called the valley area and it's filled with mennonite people so it's a little bit more of a conservative culture and i would say i grew up in a little bit more of a conservative home not nearly as conservative as my parents but conservative nonetheless Mm -hmm. so we hit up church uh every sunday it didn't matter if uh if we were traveling we always went to church like we did a cross canada trip we we never missed church once even in on the east coast so so that tells you like how like church was a thing so I, i knew about jesus my entire life and that was i guess my journey through pornography and my journey into faith kind of go hand in hand a little bit so i guess my introduction into pornography started around probably the first time i remember something was probably around the age of seven six seven maybe eight i'm not 100 percent sure but just flipping through a, a series catalog and and there it is and uh and so it, i didn't get hooked on it right away but i do remember like i used to sneak out of the house with a with a catalog and then look at stuff and then try to sneak it back in mm-hmm. and uh that wasn't too terribly often but then by the time i was oh probably 12 or 13 we got internet and a computer and that kind of started i didn't realize what you could all find on the internet but i learned pretty quickly what you could discover so by the time i was 14 i was probably full-on addicted to to pornography right and i i don't know if like for you matt if this was how it was for you but i know for myself growing up I didn't really know who to turn to to talk about stuff like this. You know, you, this curiosity is awakened in you, right? You don't know what to do with that. Maybe you have a little bit of feeling of shame about it. Maybe you have some understanding. Maybe it's bad or wrong. What was it like for you? Yeah, I I was really, I was a really guilt-driven child. So I remember laying in bed at night and sweating because I felt so guilty. And so I would... I was upstairs, so I'd go downstairs and go into my parents' bedroom. And I remember telling them, like, I looked at some bad pictures and I felt really bad about it, but my parents didn't know what to do with it. They, uh, it's like, well, that's bad. Don't do that. But, but they had no idea how to, how to work, help me work through that. Really. Did they, did they catch you? Did they know, or was it something that you hid from them? No, I hid it from them for a long time. Um, there was a couple instances. I remember I got caught one, one time. Uh, I was using our laptop and I completely wrecked it because I got a virus on it that just <laughs> shut the whole thing down. Right. So, yep. well, then my dad's like trying to fix the computer. He's like, what were you looking at? I was like, well, yep. I can't remember if I told him stuff I shouldn't. I'm pretty sure I like minimized as much as I could. Just like, yeah, stuff I shouldn't be. And I think I got grounded from the computer for two weeks or something and like, that was that was how it went they they probably wanted to help but they just had no idea how to right so so i think i ended up telling them four or five times and then i just gave up i was like i'm sick of telling <laughs> so and that, and that's the point where you start hiding right right and then you just retreat into yourself was this something that, that your friends were involved in i mean often you know it's normalized right in our world yeah. by our buddies our friends growing up was that like was for you or was it something that you tried to hide from everybody oh i hid it from everybody no i didn't i was at that place where i thought no one else struggled with this the community i was in was a very closed off community as far as what happens at home what happens at home stays at home you sweep it under the rug mm-hmm. and uh i i thought i was kind of like the only guy there and there was one incident in my life where i was going to youth group 
and they were doing like one of these games where they pull you on have you ever done this or have you ever done that and you like run to the corner of the room and for some reason they thought at the time it was a good idea to ask kids have you ever watched pornography oh wow <laughs> i was and i was so guilt driven and so i couldn't lie yeah so i remember being the only kid in this one corner by myself and all these other kids off at this other side saying they'd never done it and so i that was an experience that made me think i was the only one who had ever looked at pornography wow so that so, probably i could imagine that probably embarrassment some shame oh, right absolutely it was like even now i can feel like the embarrassment and the shame a little bit coming through and, and that's that's one of those wounds that i've had to work through yeah so that but yeah like that was a really embarrassing moment in my in my life and something that solidified i was the only one who dealt with this wow and as i look back i realize oh no i, I was definitely not the minority i was just the minority in telling the truth yeah well, that, that's such a powerful visual because even though you're a kid when this happened, you're a teenager and this is what's going on, that's a that's kind of a microcosm, isn't it, of, of our society as a whole, especially yeah. sometimes those who have grown up in the church. That's how you feel, the visual of that. Like you feel if you put your hand up to, hey, do you look at porn, do you masturbate? You're the only one standing in the corner. And then there's all these other yeah. people kind of looking down on you when in reality, no, there's so many struggling, but they will not be honest about it, Right. Yeah, for sure. And from there, it it all just, my teenage years kind of all just blend together of uh, looking at pornography and telling Jesus I'd never do it again, and then doing it again. And it was just back and forth all the time. And and I just eventually became numb to it. Yeah. And, and I didn't care. And I had moments where I would confess to Jesus, but I was like, my words are empty because I know what I'm going to do. Right, so, right. so I just kind of quit, quit doing that. And I think by the time I was 15 and into 16, that's when I started to like, I knew that it was something I needed to get out of my life, but I also didn't know or believed it was possible to. Mm. So I had mentors come and go, but again, just nobody knew where to point me. And, and it was a lot of, well, how's your, how's your Bible reading? Are you praying? And maybe those things weren't, a huge part of my life, but I, I, I tried all of them yeah. and, and I don't want to diminish the power of reading your Bible and praying, but if you don't have someone to direct you and how to apply what you're, what you're reading or what you're praying about uh, those, it's kind of a dead tool. <laughs> right. Well, absolutely. Well, cause you're, you're putting it through the lens of porn. I mean, that's yeah. how you're, you're looking at everything and it's really hard to gather anything from what you're reading and to have it help you because yeah it's just words on a page too at that point and I know that was what, what it was like for me too so um, kind of at this point in your your journey your story what was kind of your mindset in the sense like was porn starting to eke its way into all aspects of your life or was it this thing that maybe it was affecting you but you weren't really sure uh, to the extent that it was at this point I didn't realize how much it was affecting my life but I had serious anger management issues and, uh, especially at home. Um, I was actually, I was homeschooled from, from K to 12. So there was definitely a little bit of violence on my side mm -hmm. as far as like, I remember one day I picked up a, a rock the size of my fist and I just threw it as hard as I could at my sister. Wow. Yeah. And I was, those aren't things that a person who's thinking properly should do. 
Right. And I was probably 14. So I knew better. It wasn't like I was six or seven. So, wow. so yeah, it definitely was affecting, I think anger was probably one of the biggest things that it drove. And that just, I mean, it speaks a testament to the work that God's done in your life. Cause I mean, for those of you out there, you don't know Matt, but the times that I've had with him, he's just a happy guy, just, just <laughs> so friendly, one of the nicest guys. And just to think of that, like to have that anger boiling inside, you just are like, no, I don't see it. I don't see that at all. But that just shows the work that God's done in your life. So that's powerful. So you're recognizing this anger. Was there ever a point where you were starting to make a link to, hey, maybe it's part of what I'm looking at on the screen? No, I think I was too far into denial about it. Yeah, I don't, I wasn't able to connect that. My my brain was in too much of a fog to even go there. And and I know sometimes my mom had this idea that sometimes our, she had the right concept that sometimes our actions are driven by sin in our lives mm. as far as uh, like anger. <laughs> and so she would talk to me about that. So I think that just made me like deny the issue even more. Yeah, It's like my mother's going to tell me, well, that's not something I'm going to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we're a teenager, we don't listen to our parents at all. Yeah. I oh, it. no, no. <laughs> so what was kind of the hinge point for you? Maybe the, I don't know if it was a, sometimes we always talk about you have to hit rock bottom before you can start to move yeah. out of that hole. I know for me, I tried things. I tried to have quote unquote accountability, not knowing how yeah. to do that properly. Was there anything like that where you're like, yeah, I'm going to actually try some things here. Yeah. When I was like 17 or 18, I started to find people to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. Different men in my life that I looked up to. That was, that was an interesting process. Cause again, uh, a lot of these guys just didn't know how to, how to direct me. Mm-hmm. So it, it became like a confession time of where you just show up. Yeah. I screwed up this week. Well, let's try to do better next week. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, off you go. So, so that was, that was kind of the cycle of, of mentorship. I, I or even as I got older, I ran into some some peers and some close friends who uh, just through talking about life, we discovered that we both struggled with the same thing. Mm. And uh, so, well, let's hold each other accountable. We're going to get through this together. And uh, yeah, you got two guys fighting the same battle. And again, just time of confession and not true repentance where, yep. just, how are you doing this week? Well, man, I screwed up. Well, let's do better next. All right, let's go. Pat on the back and off you go. And it's just this vicious cycle. Oh, wow. You're, you are speaking into something that I experienced exactly because that's what I did too. You get a yeah. buddy who's struggling just as much as you are. And how's that going to work, right? Because yeah. we have no clue how to battle. We have no clue how to move forward in anything. So it just becomes week after week. Hey, how'd you do? Oh, yeah, I looked at porn. Or you start to use language like, yeah, I didn't have a good week, right? Like, what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> you're not learning anything and you're just spinning your wheels, getting frustrated. And I think you get to the point where you're like, well, what's the point of this? Accountability. You heard that someplace, but I don't think it oh, yeah. works. I tried it. Doesn't work. Putting it back on the shelf, right? Was that how yeah. it was for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was easy Yeah, because once you found out that you both struggled, well, then it wasn't too hard to talk about because you, you know that you were, you knew that you were both in the same place. Yeah. So it wasn't like something difficult to do. You're like, you're just as much a screw up as I am. We can live in this together. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to face the music of, of actually doing the hard work. Yeah, absolutely. So you're 17 at this point. Was there anything starting to change? Like what, 
started to move you forward? Um, or maybe you, you, you kind of made that choice in your mind, well, this isn't really working. Maybe you went backwards a bit. Like what happened next for you? It was just a like, right from the time I was 14, all the way into like my married life, it was just a roller coaster. It would be, you'd have some highs and then you'd have some lows. And uh, so I started working at camp when I was 16. Right. And so you'd have like, you'd almost have like a high of summer where you could do really well. You'd go there and, and there's just so many people that are legitimately on, on fire for Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe that's where the change in my heart started was at camp seeing people have a real relationship with Jesus and not just something they did because that's what their parents did. And, and so I started to desire that. And, uh, so I'd have like a good season at camp for a bit and you go into the, the fall and winter and you just go back to your old habits. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that camp was, was probably the start of the turning point for me. It took years after that, but that was, that's where I started to really desire a real relationship wow. with Jesus. And that's where I ended up, uh, meeting my wife. So, so I started working at camp when I was 16 and I met my wife when, she, when I was 17. So, so that was, that was another dynamic. But then we were dating shortly after we met, but we were really young. So, so then, it, then I brought someone else into my problems at that point. Right. Whether they knew it or not, whether she knew it or not. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. actually it was, it was interesting. So, so it's a little, little dicey, but I like, so I was 17 and then when I met my wife, I thought she was 17 or 18. Turns out she was 14. So that was a little bit of a gray area. If you want to put it that way. So you're 17, she's 14. I mean, at that point that sounds young, but I mean, now that you guys are in your twenties, the it's, age doesn't matter. Not a big yeah. Deal. But back then, so yes, we did, for sure. <laughs> so we were probably dating a year, started dating close to like a year later. Yep. So, so 18 and 15. It gets better as you get older. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 25 and 23 or 22, it doesn't sound that bad, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. At that point, it was like, it's a little weird. Yeah. But no, actually, I ended up telling her that I had a struggle with pornography probably. I can't, I don't know the exact time, but shortly after we started dating, maybe even a little before, because mm -hmm. we were, we met and we just clicked like nothing else. And uh, so we were always talking. We'd spend hours on the phone together. Yeah. So I did share with her that I struggled with pornography early on in our relationship, yeah. but she didn't know what that meant. Right. She didn't know what, what I meant was like, I struggle with porn. I, I minimize it as much as I can to make sure that she, she doesn't know how deep in I was, but I didn't even know how deep in I was. Right. Right. So, so she assumed I was looking at like sports illustrated type stuff or right. swimsuits, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not that that stuff is okay. No, no. And we don't want to minimize that. But yeah, no. like here, it's it seems at a level versus what it actually was, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when they discover what it really is, it's pretty horrific. Yeah. So yeah, I now I have a girlfriend in my life and I'm a porn addict. So that led to some unhealthy choices as far as our relationship went and, and how far we took things physically. And yeah, so that was during my dating life. We didn't really talk too much about it. I kept trying to quit. I'd quit for a little bit and I'd do, then I'd go back into it. And then we, uh, we got engaged when she was 17 and I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. So we got engaged really young and we got married the month after she turned 18. Wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah you were really young. 
Um, and if you're doing the math, people out there, they are still really young. (laughs) (laughs) I look at kids now that are at the age when we got married, I'm like, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's your story. And uh, I mean, it's, it's so cool how God's worked in your guys' lives, but I wanted to come back a bit to when you guys are dating. And I know that we fight this kind of instinct that's being birthed in us out of what porn is teaching us and informing on our lives as far as our relationships with the opposite sex. So with you and your, your, well, your now wife, but back then, yeah. Riley, back then, what, how was that affecting you with her? Cause I know you talked a little bit about, you kind of, you crossed some lines, but yeah. what were, what was it doing to you as far as your view of her and maybe um, women in general? Were you noticing anything? At the time, I don't think I noticed a lot i was i was just there for fun and it it made me feel good yeah it made me feel valuable and like i was i was doing something right because we were so happy together and sex is a wonderful thing and and being together is a wonderful thing but within the right context but when you don't have a proper perspective of what that's supposed to look like you just ride the good feelings of it and you don't actually look at the intimacy side beyond just just sex but yeah it it was an interesting time in our life because everything felt so right yeah that's a great point you're bringing up because i think a lot of people get wrapped up in that mindset that hey like i'm in a relationship we're exploring our physical aspect here and it feels right it feels good that must mean it's good that must mean it's the right thing And it's so interesting because yes, God designed us to uh, engage with each other physically, um, but he had some really good boundaries that he set around us or or set for us to enjoy that and to grow in our intimacy together with that. And I think he touched on something there. Like sometimes, I mean, we do a lot of pre-marriage stuff with with many couples and and they kind of get into that trap too of the flood of emotion and the rush they're getting from, you know, first off holding hands and then they keep going from there. I'm not saying holding hands is wrong, by the way. I'm just saying (laughs) the progression of how you move towards maybe having sex together before marriage. Yeah. It feels like this rush, right? It feels oh, yeah. so good, so right. And while those feelings are there, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're true or or good yeah. in the sense that it's we're rushing ahead of ourselves a little bit here. So uh, thanks for bringing that up because that's, that's a yeah. powerful truth that I think a lot of people miss um, yeah. about that. But even, even as we started to get physical in our relationship, it still didn't replace what I thought was a need for porn. Right. It didn't, it didn't satisfy that and i don't know if i like i'd been told all the right things so i don't know if i ever thought that marriage would fix my issues but maybe deep down i believed it would or hoped it would yeah so yeah as we we went through our even as in our engagement uh we we did some premarital counseling and uh we had been off at camp for the whole summer so our premarital counseling got pushed till like two weeks before our wedding and and that's when one of the pastors that was doing our our premarital counseling asked me, it's like, so do you struggle with porn? It's like, yep. <laughs> yep. And, and at that point I could, I could see it on his face. He didn't know what to do. Hmm. He's like, you're two weeks away from your wedding. What are we going to do? So I don't remember the exact conversation that happened. I think it more or less boiled down to like, we need to make sure this doesn't continue and we'll keep tabs on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So for you guys, you and Riley at this point, I mean, it's one thing when you're dating and engaged. Yeah. It's another thing when porn's in the marriage. So 
you guys get married. What was going on for you there? Was it starting to spill out more into your lives together? What was happening for you? Oh guys? yeah. 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 No, our first year of marriage was the absolute worst year we'd ever had together. I don't even know if we had a honeymoon stage. Right. <laughs> it just, it just went to garbage right, right from the beginning. Uh, we ended up moving away. So we moved to Swift Current. So it's about three hours from, from Martinsville. It's in Southern Saskatchewan. And uh, I was driving truck down there hauling grain. And so I was on the road. I was home almost every night, but generally I left at five in the morning and got home at between eight and nine o'clock. So if you, it kind of paints a picture for what was going on in my life. I I'm newly married and I'm never home and I'm in a truck by myself with way too much time to think. And and sometimes you end up at a, at a grain elevator for three hours with nothing to do. Yeah. There's a bed in the back. You have your phone on you all the time. So the, the porn thing just like right after we got married, just got probably way worse than it ever been. Yeah. So I'm on the road. I'm not even, I don't have time to be there for my wife, even with my time. And then I come home and I'm not even there for her emotionally. And it, it was brutal. Like I, and she knew she's, my wife is super intuitive. Most wives are. Most wives know something's up, even if they don't know exactly what. God's given them that intuition. That's oh, right. And but she knew exactly what was going on. So even sometimes I'd come home, I didn't want to do anything. I would have a shower. Lots of times I would act out while I was in the shower, have supper, watch TV, go to bed. Literally nothing left for her. And she's she's eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> and just getting dumped on. So that first year, this is the journey that you're on together, yep. kind of heading towards a cliff, it sounds like a little bit. Oh, yeah. What changed for you? What happened? During that time, it's, I, don't, I don't remember a lot. That's probably the deepest mud or fog my brain has been in is during that time. So I don't remember a lot about what happened there. My Riley, or my Riley, my wife talks about. Yeah. She's your about, Riley. You're correct. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's my Riley. Yeah. Uh, she talks about things that we did in out there, and I barely remember them. So it was it's it was an interesting. This is another interesting part of our journey because we only the job I was doing out there wasn't making money for the company and for myself. So we spent seven or eight months out there, and then we um, we packed all our things into a storage locker. And we're like, we're going to go work at camp for four months. <laughs> so, right. so we, we lived at, at camp for four months. I think it was during that four months at camp, I actually had a really good run of not using, not using pornography. And then I think I had a slip at some point during there and it just kind of headed things back down, downhill. But the little piece I wanted to interject about working at camp, God can still use you yeah. in your messed up brokenness. I look back and I'm like, man, I would have been so much more effective if I didn't have this sin in my life, but he can still use the brokenness. Now that doesn't mean we should still reside in our sin just because he's capable of using us in that place. Yeah, great point. Yeah. But, but he can still use you. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking back on your life and you're like, my whole life has been a complete loss because of what I've been through. Uh, it's, it's not, you can look back and you can see how God used this point in your life and this point in your life. So yeah, we spent four months at, at camp uh, working there and I was running their, their paintball program and that, and that was good. And then we, we moved to Saskatoon after, after that summer. And again, uh, my, our whole marriage from that point, I was just like 
pretty much me confessing to my wife that I'd screwed up and then I'd do better for a couple weeks or a month. And then, Hey, I screwed up again or she would find out. And that was the cycle of our life. Sometimes I would try to hide it. Sometimes I wouldn't depended on how I was feeling. Yeah. Right. And, but also during this time it was, uh, I got good at lying, really good at lying. She would ask me if I had done something or if I had looked at porn and I would just straight up lie to her. I'm like, no, right. no, I'm good. Right. And it is so funny because uh, I was there too. And you, you put it in a way in your mind that you can rationalize it, right? Yeah. Like you'll say, oh no, no I'm good. And when your mind, what you're saying is, oh, I only looked once this week. Yeah. Right. And that's good. In your mind, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you think you're telling a truth. Like you, you lie to yourself almost too. Oh, yeah. that, and then you say the lie. Isn't that interesting? Right. So it yeah, is. but continue. Yeah. 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 No, the rationalization and the lying is unbelievable. You look back and you're like, how, how could I lie just so blatantly? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, that was probably for the next few years, how things went and like always trying to find, I think there was always something in me that I was trying to find help in some way. Yeah. Like, I think from a really young age, I knew, well, before we got married, we knew that we wanted to do full-time ministry together. So there was this little piece in me that knew that something had to give somewhere. I just didn't know how or when. Right. And I'm going to leave you off there, Matt, because we are going to unpack this next okay. podcast. We're going to give you a little bit of a hang moment here, listeners out yeah. there, because we want you to listen to part two, because it's so powerful and how God yeah. got a hold of them and then how Matt was able to turn around and help other men. So thanks, Matt. We're going to check in with you guys next week. So you don't want to miss it next week with Matt Andres, part two. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us today and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.